This is Whiskey and Risk, a J. Crew podcast where we talk about all things risky while drinking a little bit of whiskey. I'm Max. And I'm Jackson. Let's get into it. Cheers. Welcome back to Whiskey and Risk. I'm your host, Max Katzbeck. And I'm Jackson Doyle. And today we are delighted to bring to you our guest, Holly Scholes, Director of HR for the City of Wheaton. Hello. Great to have you, Holly. I'm excited to be here. Have you ever done a podcast before? No, I have not. Okay, well, it's very exciting. We'll walk you through it. It'll be a lot of fun. We're really excited to have you on. Today, we'll just dive into it. Jackson, you want to tell the listeners what you're drinking? Yeah, I mean, I think you should, but I will take the lead as you've had it before and you bought it. So correct me if I go about it the wrong way, but it's Red Breast Single Pot Still Irish Whiskey, 12 year aged. Hit it right up. Okay, all right, perfect. Very good. Yeah. Today we're drinking Red Breast 12 year. I actually was in Ireland last year and I usually drink bourbon. But in Ireland, you got to drink some Irish whiskey. Fun fact, the Irish invented whiskey is what I was told when I was a bar in Dublin. Did not know that. Anyways, we drank a lot of Red Breast 12. I typically like bourbon, but I personally like the Red Breast. And it's my favorite Irish whiskey. So just to give you a little bit of a background, their signature bottle, Red Breast 12 Year, boasts the complexity and distinctive qualities of pot still whiskey, matured in a combination of bourbon and sherry casks. The distinctive red breast sherry style is a joy to behold in every bottle. It's 80 proof, aged 12 years, tasting notes made from a mash of malted and unmalted barley and triple distilled in copper pot stills. Red breast 12 is an experience you'll want to savor. Nose a complex, spicy, and fruity aroma with toasted wood notes. Taste full flavored and complex. Silky smooth with a harmonious balance of spicy, fruity, sherry, and toasted notes. If you got through that one, that's yeah. hard. And the finish is satisfyingly long. The complex flavors linger on the palate. So I know like we usually drink bourbon. I think this might be the first Irish whiskey. Definitely is. Besides Dublin, where else in Ireland did you go? I went to Dingle, great little town in the south of Ireland. I went to Killarney. And I went to Galway. Galway was my favorite. Galway was my favorite when I was there. It's so much fun. Yeah. And there's a college there. So a bunch of younger people. And the street's like Key Street. And you go down Key Street. Honestly, I don't remember much from being there. But I love Galway. So um, as well, when were you there? In college. I went. I studied abroad for the summer. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And just in Ireland? Or? No, it was actually in England. But we went every weekend to different spots. So... Dublin. We went to Dublin and did a three-day tour of Southern Ireland. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you had fun. Yes. Yeah. I drank a lot of Guinness. Yep. Yes. You and have it to. tastes so much better there. So much better. I never liked Guinness. And then I was in Ireland and I was like, I just have to drink it because I'm here. And before I knew it, I was drinking like seven pints before noon every day. So it was a lot, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So anyways, let's go into the rating. I mean, I obviously like the red breast. I'm going to go... Eight, four, I would say. I'm more of a bourbon drinker. Yeah. In terms of Irish whiskey, this is my favorite. And I feel like I was pretty lenient or aggressive on the rating last time. So I'm going to yeah, pump the brakes a little bit. Eight, four is my rating. Eight, four. So your score is going to be a little higher than mine. I also don't drink Irish whiskey hardly ever. I think my only experience with Irish whiskey is Jameson in normally in the form of shots after the night. Did someone? Mm. So you're just trying to get but, it out as quick as possible. Yeah, yeah. This is just, different. It's just different. Yeah, I mean, my favorite's makers, so this is definitely different. But it's not bad, especially like after you let the ice cube um, settle in a little bit. And one sip, 
I'm gonna stick with my score like we were talking about, seven four. Okay, solid. Seven four. Not bad, but not bad. Not great. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. I cannot do a one to ten scale because I am not a whiskey drinker, but it's actually not that bad, and I really don't like whiskey at all. Okay. Ooh, so and I might actually be pretty finish good. this up. Okay. Well, there's a whole handful. I will have more because I'm yeah. able to speak that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we'll take that and we'll classify it as it's premium. A salad rate? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, without further ado, I mean, you've already heard her voice, but uh, let's introduce Holly. Jackson, you want to maybe... Do you want me to give the introduction of Holly? Or maybe Holly, do you want to tell us? Yeah, I think Holly should give the introduction. Just why we brought you in today, and then we'll kind of go into some questions to learn more about you. I don't know. Why did you bring me in today? No. So my husband is Jeff Schultz, who um, is partner here at J. Krug. That's right. Tom Krug. Jeff and I were really good friends in college. And so obviously Jeff and I got married. And then um, we've all remained friends. And so I've been around J. Krug for 15 years now. Just I feel like I'm part of a family. So we're awesome. You are. Absolutely. At our last Christmas party, we were talking about uh, some topics for the podcast, and I said you really need to talk about some employment risk things, because especially with small companies, it's really hard if people don't have a dedicated HR person to know what to do and to kind of stay out of trouble with your number one liability, your employees, which is also your number one asset. Right. Love that. I love that. That was really good. That's a good line. Yeah, that is liability, but your number one asset. Yeah, I like that. And I'm really excited to have you on. Obviously, I've known you for years now, but even more so, I work on the employee benefits side, working with small business owners and doing their group health. And when I come across smaller companies, it seems like HR individuals might also wear a bunch of hats. They might be a business owner. They might be doing payroll. Your role with the city of Wheaton, you are the director of HR, correct? So that's your sole focus. And I know you've had a couple other roles that have led you to where you're at now. But why don't you just kind of start from the beginning? Where are you from? Where do you go to school? Yeah. So I'm from a really small town called Oregon, Illinois. Okay. Like 4,000 people. Kind of near where Jackson's That's from. right. That's right. I was going to say shout My, out to Yes. Yes, the 815. That's right. And I went to Illinois State University for business. I first started out as an accounting major, actually. Really? Yeah. And I that. Yeah, yeah. I'm really analytical, so I thought that would be a great set for me. And I got into my junior year classes. It's doing okay, but I started working retail, and I really, I got promoted right away, and I felt... Like, I, I really wanted to kind of change my focus on the business piece of it, and I wanted to be more on the operations or HR or human side of the business yeah. piece of financials. I felt like the financials were more backwards focused, and I really wanted to be able to like, make a difference going forward. So I switched my major to HR, and I added marketing. So I ended up staying an extra year because I was actually working full-time retail, and but the reason that Jeff and I actually started dating was because I was there next year. He's a year younger than me. Tom, Jeff, and I would go out a lot while I was still down there just finishing up part-time and working full-time. Then from there, I wanted to move up to the Chicagoland area. I was working still down in Bloomington for a while. Yeah. And I got a job at Aerotech, which is a staffing company, which was an awesome learning experience. I felt like I really got to understand the different types of roles in different types of companies and really what different companies are looking for in their, in their people. So I started working there in 2009, which was the worst possible time uh, yeah. to be a recruiter on commission because 
there was no one hiring. So right. it was a really depressing time to be working as yeah. a recruiter. You've got people calling you that are like desperate for a job and was like, is this what the real world is like? You know, because it was my first job out of college. But I kind of took advantage of the fact that I had these opportunities to learn and grow. One of the big things there, we were kind of like pushed to do things that maybe I wasn't really comfortable doing, like cold calling and yeah. calling candidates that you had no idea about them. And I really got comfortable on the phone. And I remember what the director of business operations said one time, or she would say it all the time. Growth doesn't happen in your comfort zone. So you have to like step outside your comfort zone and that's when you grow. So I really learned a lot there from just like a growth perspective and just getting uncomfortable yeah. so that I could continue to grow. So I stayed there for a year. I didn't love it only because I was at the Economic Times, but I liked recruiting, but I wanted more fulfillment in the employee life cycle. So I just would kind of like lose touch and did or they just didn't need the employees throughout their career you just put them in the door and so you were done after you hired them or after their contract was done so i really wanted more of like the entire employee life cycle so i found a job at burden packaging which was downtown it was an awesome experience it started actually at the front desk as an HR assistant i answered phones at the front but then after work hours i would recruit they and that's why they hired me they were growing and they needed some some recruiting experience so i got some exposure to benefits payroll, employee issues, FMLA, all that kind of stuff. So that job was like working 10 years in business. It was the most amazing experience. It was really stressful and really fast paced, but we went through four acquisitions while I was there. So it was crazy, but awesome. So I always say I'm like, I got 10 years of education in three and a half, but the reason I left there, Jeff and I were thinking about having a family, and I was commuting downtown, and so I was kind of like, I don't know if I can commute downtown and have a family, especially the hours I'm working. So I found a job at Bemis, which Bemis is now Amcor. Amcor bought them out, which is interesting because Amcor was a supplier to Berlin Packaging. So Amcor, they're a flexible packaging manufacturer, so I went from the distribution corporate side to actually working in a factory. And... I went from like a really nice corporate office to like a really stinky factory <laughs> that like melted plastic. But it was an awesome experience. The people that worked at Bemis were so nice. They're from Wisconsin, so they were just so like Yeah. Shout out Wisconsin. Yes. Yeah. I just feel like they were so family oriented. They understood that you had obligations outside of work, which I never experienced before, which I just really appreciated so much. And I made some really great friends there. And it exposed me to a union environment. So I really wanted to get some union experience just to grow my career. And so that was intimidating at first because I was a 28-year-old girl with long blonde hair walking in. And there were some rough people that worked there as far as the stuff that they had been through. And so they were ready to pounce. And especially their union leadership at the time was not nice yeah not like you know they would like scream at me and i'm like the one thing i learned there was you teach people how to treat you so i had to develop confidence and tell people like i won't be talked to this way come back from the one talk like it's a little and were these were these employees that be older than you male oh yeah definitely and and honestly like the blitz for the most part were really good it was like the 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 union up at the beginning they got some leadership and it was much better but so it's like, don't call me and scream at me if that's not how I operate. Yeah. So, so I took that into 
the rest of my career. So then I started at the city of Wheaton. A job opened up. My brother-in-law actually saw it on Twitter. <laughs> and we're like, you should apply for this. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't have any public sector experience. And Jeff really pushed me to apply. He's like, you do everything on there just in the private sector. So I applied and I got the job. And Shut up, Jeff. Shut yes. up, Jeff. <laughs> we love Jeff. And Jeff's brother, too. Yes. 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 So, the shirts yeah. Well, now, now X. Yes. Well, already yes. just Twitter. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I've been at the city ever since, and it's been awesome. How long have you been at the city for then? Almost eight years. Eight years. Crazy. Wow. Because I remember, I think I started at Jake Curtis intern about years ago, and I when you were at Venus, I think at that think time, so. and then you would just I remember hearing stories about you at Venus, and then making that transition. So that's really cool. And talk about maybe some of your responsibilities now in your current role. Yeah, so right now I'm in charge of all the labor relations with four different unions. We have two police unions, a fire union, and a public works union. And so it's all the contract negotiation and I do a lot of research for that. And there's so much that goes into that. And then making sure that if there's any grievances or anything, we're handling all those properly or if we want to make some changes on something, we're working with the union. So it's really talking a lot about relationships. I also am in charge of all of our benefits. So health insurance, dental, life insurance, four different pension plans, 457, which is similar to a 401k in the private sector. And then I'm also in charge of a lot of different performance management stuff. For a huge, we have a really great analysis program that we uh, implement. Everything in HR, we enter, we do a lot of like employee maintenance that my department does, but we don't do payroll, which okay. I appreciate because it's sort of the finance function. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you have enough responsibilities outside of payroll. So yeah, it's probably a, a pro. I have a question. I don't know if it's backtracking or not, but just talking about unions. In your roles of HR and the difference between working non-union versus union, we kind of experience the same thing, but very different of. I work with majority of contractors. And so when I go in working on an account, one of the major questions that carriers ask is, are they union or non-union? Basically because if they're affiliated with the union, they're like involved in a lot of the different things than having one person wear a ton of different hats at the company. So how is that different in terms of HR? Are you communicating with the union on a lot of different issues in terms of their retirement plans and like you're talking about pensions and different things like that, not even just where you're at in Wheaton, but like prior, but when you first got intro to working with the unions, how did that like shift in terms of did that? Yeah. So when I was in the private sector, the union I worked with was Teamsters. They had their own pension. The, and I think back when it was like a different company, they had a pension, the company stopped contributing to it. So there was a pension, but I didn't really have to do anything with it because it was for three years, and then any additional benefits they dealt with the union. Where I'm at now, the unions really don't have a ton, say, with the benefits as far as administering it, they just negotiate it. So in the public sector, we have three different pension plans. I think it's like four, I mean, three different pension plans. And they're all state mandated. So there's nothing that I can do about it. We have to contribute a certain amount of money into it, and they're all dictated by state statute. So the pension boards for the police and fire handle a lot of that stuff for me. And then IMRF, which is the non-union pension plan, they deal with a lot of that stuff. But I got to know a lot about it so that I can answer questions for the employees. So I don't have to 
tell them exactly, okay, this is what your pension estimate is going to be. The IMRF or the Police Pension Board or Fire Pension Board will actually deal with that. But I I have to help them you're, you're understand what they're about. Yeah. Some, yes. yes. So as far as like eligibility and things like that. Gotcha. And then are those pension plans, I'm assuming it's a contract, so are those ever renegotiated? Or do you have to update so they're not there? renegotiated. In the private sector, they would be, but mm-hmm. in the public sector, it's the city has to has an obligation and basically like IMRF says, hey, you have to contribute 11% of the employee's pay into this. The employee's always will pay 4.5% mm-hmm. to IMRF. Got it. It's just to fund it. So basically, IMRF, which is the state municipal retirement fund, they just tell us what we pay to it. So there's no negotiating on that. But in the private sector, there is room for negotiation because those pension plans are solely funded by that company. Where these are funded by all the municipalities within the state. So you essentially pull together all the municipalities. It's not just yours, not just the city of Wheaton. Is it the entire state then? Sure. Yeah, it's a state-run program. Okay, gotcha. So there's park district employees that are in it. There's school district employees that are in it, not teachers, but the not like the paraprofessionals, they're in it too. And that's similar to the employee benefits in terms of health insurance too. It's a pooled cooperative program. It's not just the city of Wheaton. It's multiple municipalities, correct? Yeah, so the pool that we're in, it's not mandated. We can be in it or not be in it. But we have been for a long time, so it's the IPBC and we're basically still funded up to a certain point. And then there's a banded layer where all of those claims in that banded layer for, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but 30000 to 100000 those are shared amongst the communities. And then anything over 100000 whatever the stop loss is, I think it's more than that now, then those are covered by insurance. So it took me a little bit to understand that because yeah. I worked at companies that were just 100% self-funded before. So... It took me a little bit to really understand how this all worked and what certain, what claims would go into the banded layer and right, right. all of those types of things. But that affects everybody's renewal. If other communities have huge claims, it does affect everybody's renewal. Yeah. But if I have huge claims, I'm, I'm sharing the risk with other Thanks, owners. Kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you really want people to work hard to manage their benefits pretty well. They do have a wellness program too, which is awesome That's because they reimburse the communities that have a high participation in wellness. So if you do biometric screenings, they reimburse for that. But then we also pay a fee into the pool for wellness. And then communities that hit a certain percentage of people getting their biometric screening and then doing other, they have like community things, they have newsletters that go out, that kind of stuff. They'll get a higher back the ones that, and if you don't have a wellness program, you don't get any money back. So every year, we strive to get 75% of our employees doing a biometric screening, which right. is really high. But we do it every year and we get usually around $100,000 back. Oh, nice. So it's yeah. nice. So nice and yeah. yeah. In the grand scheme of things, I mean, a wellness program, especially when you're self funded or in those banded layers for health insurance, it's so beneficial because one, you're obviously limiting your employee base healthier, keeping your premiums down on health insurance, but two, your employees are healthier, so they're going to be at work more. They're not going to be out of the office sick. 
And it just goes kind of farther than just, hey, I want the cheapest health insurance. I'm going to provide this to my employees and make sure that they're taken care of outside of just buying health insurance, which I think is really cool. And something that's really vital when you get into that space when you have more control, those higher limits, you're self-funded or partially self-funded. I think wellness program is a huge benefit. So congrats on taking 75%. I mean, it's has to be like pulling teeth sometimes to get everyone to you know it. what it is? We provide an incentive on their health insurance premiums. Okay. So you can't punish someone for not doing it, but you can incentivize people to do it. So uh, we have a really great incentive for a family on the PPO plan. It's about $1,000 a year. So people with a family, it's silly if you don't do it, but your yeah. spouse also has to do it. We really push it. It's a ton of communication. It's really making sure that everybody's getting in there. And if we know they participate in the past, like personal calls to them, emails, like, hey, get in, do it. Not only so we can get the incentive, obviously we, we love that from like a, you know, a financial responsibility piece right. of it. But at the end of the day, we want people to get in there so that they can see if they have something that could prevent a catastrophic claim in the, in the future. Right. I know of two people that have had major health issues that they caught early because of their blood work. So wow. it's great for the employee, great for the city. As it helps us to avoid catastrophic claims and then to avoid major health issues. And just to be able to say, hey, I mean, with this program, to have an employee that had no idea of a health issue and because of this program, then you get run. Yeah, of course, there's an incentive, so most people go for that, but to find out there's a major issue where you would have no idea without doing this mm-hmm. program. I mean, that's going to feel pretty good at your part, too. Yeah, it's awesome. And so, I mean, I can't take all the credit for it. I mean, we've definitely improved it, but we had this program in place when I came in, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. I can't believe that they offer this incentive for people, but it's really worked out well. And especially because we get this reimbursement back, it helps to pay for itself, but it does help to pay for it. It's a win-win for everybody. In terms of like the biometric screening, is that something that a third-party vendor will come to your location? Do you employees have to go to a location to do that and certify that they did that? Or how does that work? Yeah, so we have four, you always have four clinics, I guess. We always do two Saturdays and then two during the week for the place to come. So we have a third party that comes out and then if they can't make it, they go to a lab core and can submit it that way. It's really easy. We've gotten to the point where- Try to make it as easy as possible. Yes, like at the end of the day, we want the place to be able to get the discount. We want them to be able to go to the place and get the removal set pretty quickly. So it's pretty simple. And do you know in terms of the cooperative or program that you're in, how many municipalities are members of that program? It's not the entire state like pension program, right? No. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I would say there's probably around 125 municipalities so part of the IPC. Gotcha. It's a pretty big pool. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's very well, that's interesting. I'm learning a ton over here. <laughs> I did taking all this in school. They also help us with dental insurance. They also do, like our EAP program, we're switching over to an EAP program mm-hmm. soon. They help negotiate that for us. And that also helps us because as a small organization with only 207 employees, get the benefit of being able to negotiate with this huge pool. Yeah, right, yeah. absolutely. So are you evaluating carriers every year? Is it a program set up with one specific carrier? Or So this pool is actually really interesting because they allow each of their municipalities to keep their own health benefit plan for the most part. Wow. Except for, I think if they're small, they might have to go into a specific plan, but they have UHC and Social. So you have options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your Blue Cross plan can be different from everybody else's. 
Yeah, because that's one of the benefits once you get to that, you know, self-insured, lots of other employees, employers, I should say, is that you can really customize those plans. If you want a specific deductible or out-of-pocket maximum, you can tell the carrier and negotiate that and really build that custom to whatever your employees' needs are, which is a lot more flexibility than you get. For instance, we work with a lot of companies that have under 50 enrolled. We have obviously companies that are much larger than that as well, but in the under 50 enrolled market, the plans are really, let's say Blue Cross Blue Shield, for instance, there's about 35 plans you can pick from. The rates are solely based off of the age of the employees and their dependents. So there's not as much negotiation or leeway of, hey, there's a deductible plan, maybe that's a thousand. Next option as a 1500 deductible for an employee only. We can't go back to the carrier and say, well, I want a $1,200 deductible. It just kind of was boilerplate, mm-hmm. which is nice in the sense that many smaller employers don't have the resources or the time to take that on. If they just want to be, hey, I offer these benefits to my employees. I want to recruit and retain my talent, which is the biggest goal. But once you get to larger organizations and stuff that you're working on, you have more of that negotiation power, correct? Yes, the pool as a whole. Yes, right. it definitely does. And the biggest thing with the IQC that's a better of us, if not all, I have several different union contracts that we're trying to abide by at the same time as like trying to offer benefits to different employee groups. So we're really lucky because we have just one field plan and we have one HMO plan where Keep there's other changes that because of different contracts, they have to have this HMO plan, this, and then a different HMO plan for one of this two in. Oh, it's contractor. Yeah, okay. and then HSA, like they'll have all these different types of plans and we've looked at different options, mm-hmm. but we're really lucky that we have flexibility within our union contracts to an extent. We do have to keep within certain limits, but for the most part, we are able to say like, if your premiums are gonna go up a, 10%, we have the ability to raise your deductible and raise your copay so that not every employee to scale in this is only the people that are using insurance. And it's hard to teach people who have had such great health benefits because in the public sector, you have really great health insurance. For it's really hard to teach people who are used to those great benefits how to be a consumer of health care. And if they're a big consumer of health care, it helps them save money and it also helps the organization save money. So it's a ton of education on, yeah. hey, you know, you can go to the urgent care instead of the ER. And so we'll get a $1,500 bill instead of a $10,000 bill. That's huge. Yeah. So there's a ton of education on that piece of it. And I think that any organization can help teach their employees, especially the ones that have HSAs. I mean, the employees are like, oh, I don't want to spend all this money. Hey, go to this specific type of doctor or yeah. whatever it is so that they're not spending a ton of money just going to the emergency room for a cold. For sure. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I see that a ton with my groups too. And you have employees that are going to the ER for very minor things. And that's really a huge thing that can be avoided or mitigated by just going to an urgent care, going to a regular doctor. Just being a smarter user of your health insurance and benefits plan helps your employer, helps you keep those rates down. HSA is a great example because you have more responsibility as the employee to know where you're going because you're not really getting all those focus on maybe prescriptions or different factors. And knowing how to navigate your plan better, it helps everyone as a whole. Well, I think also with the prescription piece, I mean, that's a huge 
piece of your spec in terms right. of prescriptions. So if you can develop some good programs with your prescription provider, mandatory generics or mandatory 90-day refill, that helps the employee and then it also helps the employer save money overall. Yeah, absolutely. And I did some work because I worked with a couple of school districts on their employee benefits program. So I've seen that side of the public benefits and it seems on the public side, Nate, you're right. I mean, the benefit levels are really contract, negotiated contracts. So, for instance, schools, you might be looking at plans with a $500 deductible, very, very rich plans that have a really nice employer contribution to them. So it keeps the premium slow for the employees. But when you look at the private sector, if you're looking at a $500 deductible Blue Cross Blue Shield plan on the national network, it's not even... You can't afford that. You can't afford it. As a company, it's crazy. And you don't want to either. I mean, that plan is just so rich in terms of a premium. And you have a bunch of employees that might not even be utilizing the plan. So they're paying all this money for a very, very rich plan. So typically I see higher deductibles on the private side than I do public, but it is kind of unique to talk about that and getting on the podcast to kind of see that public side is, is a unique aspect to it too. So. Yeah, yeah. Definitely my, the other organizations that worked for, I had pretty rich benefits everywhere I was, but our everything was higher and your contributions were higher. And so when it came to this dating, you know, dang, these are great benefits. And then you've got people who have never worked outside of public service. Well, they, and they were like, this yeah. community has this. And I'm like, okay, but have you ever seen who's outside of this? This is amazing benefit. So yeah. I think now we're at that place where people really appreciate the benefits that we offer and understand the value of it, especially as people retire. Because people retire very early. Police officers and firefighters, if they have to start on it time and service, they can retire in the 50s. With the pension? 15 so. years of paying the whole premium. Like, yeah. that's crazy. Like, wow. As a public employer, we do have to offer them health insurance, but they pay the full premium. So it's basically like COBRA for the rest of their life. Right, which is a lot better than the individual marketplace where you yes. have a lot less choices. They definitely do not stack up to the plans that you're offering yeah. here and paying 100 in the premiums with those as well. But the rates are, I would assume, higher and the individual marketplace and it would be with your negotiated rates with like, the program. That, yeah. So that's very interesting. Yeah. You know, I agree. I'm just curious, uh, are we good to transition to, you know, topics? Yeah. More here. I am just curious in terms, not fully transition, I should say, because it's still the union versus non-union, just with what I deal with. Max is on the group health side, so he kind of intertwines with a lot of what you're talking about. I'm on the PNC side, so I'm taking bits and pieces, yeah. making the connections where I can. I do work comp as well. Yeah. So uh, when you guys were talking, I don't do the other but the work. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys talked about the difference between like going to the ER versus like immediate care or something like that. That's the same as what we see in terms of a work comp claim. Mm-hmm. And a lot of employers they don't like to talk about the possibility of claims. It's almost like you should talk about it prior to it happening, not after the fact, because a lot of the employees just. They're like, I'm hurt, I need to figure it out, and they just do their own thing. And the difference is the same in terms of a work comp claim and the reserves that'll be open and different things like that, and the longevity of it, with just a small change like that of going from not going to the ER to... Yes. Well, your risk management, too. And we're right back then, your experience, Matt. Exactly. Like the long-term effects of if you really let a claim build up opposed to letting it close out really quickly is, could really affect you years down the line. So as far as work comp stuff, it's interesting because we actually have built a flow chart. So for any time someone's injured during these specific time of the day, they must go to 
the occupational health facility. If they're not open, then you can go to the ER if it's an emergency. If it's not an emergency and it can wait till it opens up, go to the ACT health facility yeah. in the morning. Or go to your own doctor, that's fine. Our employees get exposed to a lot of things that most employees do not get exposed to, like a normal employees are not getting kicked to the face or spit, yeah. spit on yeah. or getting bit by dogs. Right. Like, so Unless you were hitchhikers. Yeah. Yes. I mean, <laughs> if I had a dog here, we had like several dog bites in a row with one of less than example, and they would go to the emergency room. So it's like 1500 bucks every time they go, they're fine. So we just implemented like, hey, can you wear these specific gloves that help prevent the bite from getting to your skin yeah, right. and every time you handle a dog? Yeah. Like little things like that. And I mean, yeah, it's only 1300 bucks, but it happened three times within right. a year. Right. And so we don't want our employees to be bit. So right. yeah. <laughs> it's really monitoring your claims, really looking at, okay, what are the trends that we have going on? You're not coming up to you to have trends, but right, right. we do have yeah. more than a typical organization does. I would say that we're great compared to a lot of other municipalities, but also yeah. We're on top of those claims. We are making sure our employees are getting back to work as soon as possible. That's key. Because the longer they're out, the bigger the claim's going to get. And so it's really important to get them back, even if it's duty. Because most of the time, if someone's a skilled worker, they do not want to be staying on the computer. They want to get back to work. So if you get them back, light duty, and you can get a lot done. Got built up projects that you don't have anybody to do. They can work on that stuff. And then they're much more likely to want to get back to work yeah. into their full capacity. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a huge proponent of doing light duty. Yeah. Because people back to work claims are not going to be nearly as high. Yeah, I love this. Let's stay on this topic. And then I think you hit it on the head, those three claims that they're minor, but the frequency, the frequency is yeah. going to really impact you. So that higher frequency of workers' comp claims is going to have a, let's say you have 10 $1,000 workers' comp claims during the year, just to use run numbers, or you have one $10,000 claim, workers' comp claim during the year. Same $10,000 that the carrier is paying out. However, the 10 occurrences is going to have a much more negative impact on your experience mod, which then leads into the rate that you're paying for insurance and workers' comp uh, premiums than the one make your claim. The reason why is the carrier looks at it and says, hey, we had this high frequency. Well, What's to say that the next one won't be a million though? You hit the nail on the head. I love to hear that. Can you talk about maybe from outside of the insurance, the risk management? So you mentioned the gloves. What are some other things that you do to kind of manage your risk from a worker's comp standpoint? So obviously we have our, like, our training that we do regularly. Like, How often is that? Like it a safety have, training? Yeah, I mean, we have people that work in sewers. So we gotta make sure we're doing our confined space. Mm-hmm. We have people that working with electricals to making sure that we're doing our lockout tagouts at regular intervals. We're lucky we have a system that helps to track those things, but I mean, even a simple spreadsheet helps to track those things. We have police and fire, all they do, not all they do, they do a lot, but I mean, like they're so rigid and mandated to do specific training that I don't have to worry about them. They're dealing with it because they have to report it all to the state. And body cams and stuff like that too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I feel like the body cams is a whole different type of a liability because that's more of, that's not workers' comp. Well, it could be workers' comp. We've actually seen that what happened during specific injuries because of body cam footage. It's or, also just like personal liability, though, like just on the person. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Just, I, I, mean, you know, I would say right. that the police officers that we have, our staff that we have, our police department are so awesome. They're incredible human beings. And they were welcoming of the body cams because yeah. they were like, 
we, we want you to see what's right. happening yeah. because we're doing everything right and you should see some of the stuff we're dealing with on a day yeah, right right. and I don't think that the average person knows the kind of stuff that they deal with on they don't show that on no, and I was shocked. I mean, even starting to work for the city, I have a whole new appreciation for law enforcement and yeah. public safety. Yeah, yeah. But if I just think they're a great idea too, because it takes out the help. He said, she said, and like the letting an emotion get the best of a situation. It's like we could just watch it right back here and take out all the questions and go on. Oh yeah, I mean the, the average person, anytime you get a ticket, you're gonna be pissed. It's gonna be the officers, well, I, you know, I wasn't speeding or blah, 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 and this guy was a jerk to me, but. I'm a certain uh, like, thank you, sir, yeah. for the ticket. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you, sir, for the ticket, have a great day. Yeah, I got pulled over one time going to this home system in Indiana, because you know it's Indiana, and I've literally been pulled over twice just speaking in the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, thank you so much, sir. And I'm like, why am I thank you, this man? Yeah. Hey. Sorry for breaking the rules. Yeah. You're winning. Thank you for protecting and serving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think that's very interesting. And that's a cool aspect because, I mean, typically, obviously, we work with a ton of business owners. Um, I work with a couple of school districts on the benefit side, but in terms of you working with police officers and firefighters and that body cam and, and that's a whole other side of risk management. Our IT department is really, really on top of making sure that we've got everything covered and the cyber is very extensive for a municipality. Yeah, for sure. I need you need a shot at that one and that's all that. Yeah, right. But yeah. yeah, I mean that's interesting too because obviously we work with a lot of business owners that cyber is extremely important. I mean, companies are getting hacked and attacked every single day at all hours of the day from even other countries. I mean, it's a big thing. But from your standpoint, now not only working with personal identifiable information of your employees, but it's like a health concern where if someone shuts off the water or shuts down the electricity, how are you going to respond to that? Have you gone through any claims or like issues on that side? I mean, I know you don't really handle it, but... I'm not thinking of, I don't okay. think so. I never want to, I'm going to knock on wood. Yeah, yeah. Because that, those are things that are just always, that would be a bad threat. And want to make sure, so we get a ton of cybersecurity training. We have like, we'll go through period, but throughout the year of the world, we'll have the cleaning videos that come out to the employees to talk about different types of threats, whether it's physical threats or just leaving your computer unlocked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do that. <laughs> That's you. That's you. So we talk a lot, and we also get a ton of they'll mail us. We have a company that actually tests us. Yeah, like a tax. So they'll send thing. us. Yeah, they'll send us emails. They'll send us physical little hard drives. Yeah, like or, uh, oh, flash flash drives. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. They'll send us flash drives. Just even put it in our computer. I'm like, you think I'm going to put this flash drive in my computer? But then I'm like, there are people. Somebody would. Also, in HR, we get a ton of, I want to change my payroll or my uh, bank account. Can you please send me the form? And it's a random email, and it doesn't look like anybody. And if you send them the form, send it back with a false right. bank account. And you don't know that it's not them. And directing their money. So it would be really, like, the first time I got one, I was like, you will get emails like this. Do not reply to them. Delete them. Don't send them the form. <laughs> Don't put the flash drive in your, your yeah, matter of what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
So we do get a lot of that kind of stuff too, which is very important for employees because they're innocently doing their work and they think, oh, I'm expecting a file from this company, but the email looks a little weird. I'm still going to click on it and we'll something really bad happen. So it's really important that we don't have that stuff. Well, it's good that you guys do the risk management and you're actually doing those control the tasks to make sure that employees know what's going on because if you don't do that from a risk management standpoint, yeah, it's something to buy the insurance. So, and then just hope that nothing bad happens. And then at least have to make in mind that when the company does happen to you, some form of coverage. But it's another thing to actually go above and beyond and eliminate that. And actually have to get back right And then if you need people's information, it's really not only your issue, but it's your client issue, it's your party's issue, and you have to identify Now you have to remediate the situation, and it's a headache that nobody wants to deal with. So, risk management. At the front, whether it's workers' comp, whether it's cyber, whether it's low benefits, and making sure that employees are staying healthy, through that screening is huge. So yeah, and I mean, for a typical organization, like our revenues are not trying like work harder for revenue. Right. It just is what it is. Right. So like, if we have something crazy like that happen, they will wait a tape for it. You know, uh, yeah. if it's really really huge, obviously yeah. the story can be like that, but. You can't just like go and leave more men sort of out of those things. Yeah. So as stewards of the community, we'll kind of so that we're spending them like responsibly to really try to be on top of those things so that we don't have huge claims that we're having to say out. I mean, we also, we are self-insured up to a certain point with the others. So even that, we were really on top of doing these employees back to work because you don't want to hit that stop loss. Even if it's a bad situation. Yeah, yeah, not good. Well, I live in Chicago. It sounds very fiscally responsible. I might have to work. I mean, it's amazing. I am working where the city has made me really appreciative to live in that community because how responsible the staff things on the agency is going to be the best of them. Shall we sell that? Yes. Fun fact before we move on, just triggered in my mind when we were talking about like water shutoffs and turning the point. Nothing that bad has happened, you know, in my life. But fun fact. My first job, well, actually, my second job, my first job, I scooped ice cream at an ice cream shop. I mean, cupcakes, but my first real job, I worked for the public works department of, I grew up in the small town as well, on Rockton, just north of Rockford. And I worked summers for the public works department. And one of my jobs was, if somebody didn't pay their water bill, was to put a notice on their door. If they had already, if they had already received a like, notice, I am. I'm like a little in khaki cargo shorts in a neon vest. And I'm like, if they already received a notice, I had to not actually like talk to a person and be like, in the next three days, if you don't pay your bill, they're shutting up your water. I'm so sorry. And by the way, my lunch period's almost over. So I can get back to school. They would like yell at me and I'm like, I'm in zero control. It was a scary situation. So, yeah, that is different, water shots are hard. Yeah. I mean, it's terrible. It's, right? it's horrible. They're obviously in a terrible situation if they're not paying a water bill. Oh, yeah. So we are staff in our finance department that are awesome. They know how to handle all those things and we try to get more payment plans and stuff like that. But our water department was absolutely worth it. Yep. Uh, that was me. Uh, yeah. So we do, we do a summer labor program. It's awesome. Yeah. The kids. kids. Yeah. 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 I'm telling you, it's a great job. We're getting old, Allie. We're getting old. <laughs> there, we've actually recently hired a team that were summer laborers yeah. within the last few years and tired of them the whole time. So it's a great program that the kids keep exposed. 
I don't think a lot of people understand what municipalities do and how many jobs no. there are out there. And I didn't understand until I started working there yep. how many awesome job opportunities are on. There's a huge shortage of workers at the public sector. I agree. I'm still fashionable. Some are back with it all. But I mean, besides, well, in fire, police and fire, be, so the way we hire those positions, they actually have to like test mm-hmm. and then they go on a list. And then from there, you go to like the polygraph, the physical, the psychological exam, and the board interview, or that's a little out of order. But so we used to get like 500 people applying every two years. They hire maybe like five people off the list. Now it's like, you get 20 people if you're watching. Yeah. Really, the job offset. It's crazy for all communities. So it is really, really hard to take well, the office of people who want to be police Yeah. So I found that they did a great career. Yep. It didn't have the passion for it. If you don't, it's not. When it comes to hiring, when you're looking at like police officers, firefighters, do you hire or do you look at suppose like a military background? Is that a huge positive? Because the reason I ask is my cousin, he was a Marine and he got out of serving south of Dylan McAbee and now he's a firefighter slash paramedic in displays. And I know going through that process definitely helped him out of system team that you look at and you're gonna hire. Technically the hiring decision is not made by the city. Okay. It is made by the Board of Francis Commissioners that is appointed by the mayor. So the HR department facilitates the whole thing, so we make sure there's the pollings for their psychological work, they make sure the physicals, everything ahead of time, and no background checks. And then the board of statisticians, Andrew, he's the one that make it through all of that, and then they decide the order of which they're going to get on the list, and then Kaiser can order. But we do provide military reference points to people, so if they were in the military, they can like submit preference points, and then they can get moved up on the list. So, and honestly, probably doesn't do better in the energy to the one life experience than I took a poll first thing straight out of college. Yeah. Facts. Facts. Yep. It was very interesting. Very, very interesting. I love the competition so far. This is great. I love hearing the very educational to me. Yeah. I know you guys work in a lot of areas in terms of group health too, but, and we do too, you know, on the work comm side, but yeah, very educational to me. I've taken a lot of pieces in. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, I guess just to wrap this up, I'd love to know from an HR standpoint, what have you seen trend-wise over the past couple of years and where do you, I guess, you see HR and your role and your function going in the next five to 10 years? I mean, obviously the world's changing and you're getting a whole new generation of people in the workforce and the technology, phones and all that. Instead of say it up a little bit compared to where you were you know, at your manufacturing now working with those older employees and now you've got kids coming in. Where... Give me a little bit of background. I think that COVID, I hate to tip a COVID word, but yeah. I think that it kind of expedited the change in what's going to happen. Hopefully, it us out a little bit. Work from home. Just from my own opinion, it's not like that's what should happen in the world, it's just what I find opinion on it. I do think we're probably going to settle out. What's what's better, remote, highway, in person, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If you think that it's going to be hard for the workers, you don't have often communication skills because they spent their first two years of college at home or their last year of high school, not teaching them. But do you think that that could be uh, very instrumental time in life where you're not developing the most skills? So anybody with great communication skills is going to have a leg up on a lot of those things, those that team together. Like that two years of people actually in the workforce. I, I agree. 
Also, I think that it's really hard to have a foreign person straight out of college or first job, not in person, play the ball, the work habit. And how do you learn? Right, right. At Aerotech and at Berlin Packaging, it was such a growth opportunity and experience for me that I was learning how to manage expectations of other people. They were teaching me like how to be an efficient worker. And as long as at home, I would just be right. Dilly dally. Right. I don't. I don't get distracted very easily because that's how my brain operates. I get distracted easily. Yeah. Yeah. You guys do too. But well, actually, never gets distracted. <laughs> I learned from your husband yelling at me for my first couple of years and making mistakes. But I'm so grateful that he did that because at the time it sucked. I, it really took me to the next level. And then if I was just at home and no one was doing that for me, yeah, I'm sure I was being asked, but. Kind of help me get to where I am now. So I was. There's a lot to there's a lot to be said about culture too in terms 100%. of an organization. I mean, I built some great relationships with my bosses, even in my coworkers. Mm-hmm. I still put Christmas cards to all my bosses. I, <laughs> I they taught me so much. I owe so much to them. Right. But if I was at home, every mistake I made, I don't know if they didn't know me as a person. If they would be if like wanting to teach me like. This is why you do it, or as forgiving on the, the mistake. Yep. Like, I should never be in charge of a payroll. I'm <laughs> And I did mess up something one time, and I was so upset about it because I was like, oh my God, I messed up someone's bonus check. Mm-hmm. And my boss was just like, okay, fix it. And like, what are you going to learn from this? And if you don't have that up here at home, you don't really have those assurances of someone that you know has your back mm-hmm. that you do yep. Preserve. Yep. Yeah. Plus, it's like our you know, like work friends are a real thing. Oh, 100%. Like we all hang out. We I bring at lunch yeah. since Brad all the time. We preach to This cat. I had mentor Donald that I she started right after I did that destiny. She shout out to Lauren because she's the shout out Lauren. Amazing. She's now they tracking the turn Shinja. But when she left, like I felt so sad because. I had two children then together. She got married and had a baby, and we were doing so many life events together that we 100% trusted each other at work and as friends. And developing those relationships with people, and you know that they're never going to let you down and that you're never going to let them down. And that's harder. It's not impossible. It's just harder to do than not. To be a screw. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't like Max be a street. Uh, There's no way. I'm an in-person guy. Yeah. This is true. Look at that experience and my double chins. Yeah. I wouldn't like me either. I'm kidding. I'm Obviously, like, why is the thing? I think in HRs from bigger organizations, it's already a huge part of recruiting. Job descriptions and things like that. It's more of like how their team that's reflected because of what has worked out in the past that AI can learn that that's the type of person that you want in the future. So that is also, I mean, it's awesome. It makes things a lot more efficient, but you also have to look out for unintentional discrimination. So you have to really make sure that those types of things are unbiased, which is really hard to do. Yeah, for sure. I think we wrap up. Max and I talk a lot about goals. We talk a lot about where we want to be, where we're going. And I don't know, in terms of HR, you've been at the city of Wheaton for a long time. I mean, there's some advancement in terms of education going on. What does the next five to 10 years look like for Holly? 
I'll just give you a basket. But yeah, very good. Very awesome. I can't wait till Three July. Three kids, yeah, a full time job, and masters. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's great country. Yes. yes. I wouldn't be able to do it without Jeff. I think Shout out really Jeff. Great. He's our rock, too. Yes. Why? <laughs> I agree. I'm serious. He is the best. He is. That's why I'm married again. Like, I think the Jeff Night Bulls are so focused on every day being a better version of ourselves. No matter what it is. Some things we suck. It's one specific thing in life. Like one day, maybe I just like they get the motivation, get everything I need to do at work done. Or maybe I lost my cool with the kids or whatever it is. But like every day we're like trying. And I think that we understand that from each other. So when we both support each other in our goals, in our career, it's been awesome to see his growth. And I know that he, he'll good thing about with me. Oh, we hear it all the time, yeah. Holly. Don't worry. It's actually rather annoying, but we hear it all the time. I don't get annoyed, actually. <laughs> get it. It, it, yes, it, we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah. But. Enjoy hearing the vibe of As far as the next five to ten years, you know, I don't know where I'll be. I love working for the city, and I don't know if I'll be there forever. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a while. It's yep. For maybe I'll be a while here and decide to do something else. I don't know. I'll be there for a little while, at least because. I really enjoy working there. It's awesome for this this specific time in my life. I've got kids in elementary school in the radio. So there's so much pink decorating. Very well made. But it's an awesome job to what I have right now. And I mean, it's challenging. I think that even if I were to stay forever, I would be able to find things to help people full overall efficiency of the organization, not just my department. I think that's the thing I love the most about HR is I'm helping other departments to like better, to be more efficient and utilize their people better. So I think if I stay there forever, that would stop them. If not, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but my master's has been great to get. I'm being in like an accounting class right now and I've uh, I got worried just from like 15, 17. Junior year, so. maybe. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> this is why I stopped doing this. No. <laughs> I'm almost up with that. So, I mean, once I'm done with that, I'm like, really excited to just like blow the work, shake so far, even like not worry about school for a minute. Yeah. So, I think I'll just get the other ones that's done to blow a breather. Yeah. It's a lot. Well, I'll have all the that happens while well, so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, the graduation party. Yeah. Well, yeah. graduation yeah. party. I like that. Okay. Yeah. I should be like, have a theme of like, you know, college graduation when we were actually graduating from college. I really should dress that way. I love that. I love that. Yeah. No, wait. So, 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 <laughs> brass party, actually, with a bunch of college friends. It's so common just to find Ed. She, she was a party master, and so we were talking about how we're going to have to that party. I want the invite to this. Yeah, me, yeah. me too. Like, you have to dress how you were in college. So I, I, I'm going to be wearing so my <laughs> double-popped collar polo. Oh. Like, and because, you know, in 2005. It's soldier boy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see Jeff dress like this. Yeah. yeah. He I'm always wore a puka shell. I was just going to say, did he wear the puka shell? He did he broke all. I think oh, no. This is the best moment in my life. Yeah. Oh, get a shower face for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I keep that up to you. It's when fucking the ball is going Yeah, that's oh, the absolute layer. I'm loving this. I love this. Yeah. Well, I hate to end this. Holly, this has been awesome. So yeah. thank you so much for Very much appreciate you coming on. Very, very much appreciate it. I learned a ton, Jackson. Yep. Same. Same.
Thank you. And I think we'll wrap up. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe. Thank you, our listeners. And uh, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.